Welcome to The Back Porch, a safe space where we can wrestle with our faith and beliefs and real life. I feel like I usually have more questions than answers, and I think that's okay. I'm going to keep on asking my questions, and I'm trying to learn to rest in the hope that truth will eventually catch me. I'm Melinda, and this is my view of life and faith from The Back Porch. I'm back on the porch and I think that I'm learning slow to learn, but I'm learning that my recording rhythm is going to have to coincide with the Chandler school rhythm because the honest truth is if there's no school, there's no recording. Unless, of course, I figure out how to incorporate Monroe into my time on the porch. Which I guess isn't out of the question. So, maybe one of these days he'll be involved. But for now, (laughs) when our routine is reestablished, it looks like this is the time I find to sit on the porch. So, I'm back, but I haven't stopped thinking about where I left off in relation to the fast life that Isaiah was writing about um, in his words to the people from God. And it's kind of started to, um, I was going to say taint, I don't actually think this is a bad lens to view things through. So I'm not going to use taint. I'm going to say it's painting um, a new way of viewing everything I do. Um, I'm finding myself in, in whatever activity, whether it's what I would consider a spiritual activity or just a life activity. I think you can't really separate them. And I'm starting to ask myself questions about the fruit or the results of those things that I do. That is it for myself and and maybe not even selfishly for myself, but just am I focused on what I gain, whether that's even in my relationship with God Or am I focused on what others around me are gaining because of what I'm doing? Whether it's a good thing or a denying myself thing. But but that the purpose behind those things is for someone else's gain and not my own. So it's been helpful. But it is, I feel like I am constantly in this state of, oh, huh. And reevaluating even the good things that I do, which I don't think is, uh, it's not a bad thing. Like we should be doing that on a regular basis. Um, It's how we grow. We can't get too comfortable. But here's the thing. So today, I mean, I have like all these thoughts in my head, but today I want to just look at one place in my 
daily reading where this lens, this new color being applied to my, my view has changed how I'm understanding something that I'm reading that I've read for years and years and years. So it's out of Luke chapter three. I'm in the gospels right now. Um, and normally I read, uh, the Bible chronologically, um, in, in the year. So every year I read through the Bible chronologically, um, and I'm still doing that, but I've decided that for consistency's sake, instead of reading the gospel story chronologically, pulling a little bit from each book in the order that all of it happened, I'm reading each gospel in its entirety separately which I know most of you are like, that's how most of us read it. <laughs> but for me, it's just helped me to kind of focus in on, okay, Luke, what's he doing? What's he saying? Why is he doing that? Um, and I can do that for each one. So chapter three is our introduction to John the Baptist. And um, we know that John is a, um, a forerunner is what he's called. And, uh, someone who comes ahead of Jesus, the Messiah, to get things ready. Um, and it refers back to, interestingly, the prophet Isaiah, who described him that way, making straight paths, um, making the crooked straight, the rough ways smooth, so that all flesh will see the salvation of God. Um, and so it's a familiar story. If you have read through the Gospels even one time, you probably have heard of John the Baptist. But here's the thing. I want to read a few verses because the, the images are all of the sudden sort of in opposition to each other. Whereas before I would have read them and just been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, I'm going to start in verse 7. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John came with a message of repentance. We know that. And his whole message was repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? Repent. Um, and this phrase, bear fruit worthy of repentance. So the purpose was be baptized as a representation, as a physical sign of your repentance. And then bear fruit that's worthy of that repentance that you have now committed to. Um, and he, he never, <laughs> he's not like a, um, a warm and cozy kind of a guy. Like everything we read about him, he's harsh and kind of, um, I don't know. He, he's harsh. <laughs> he doesn't have nice things to say. I mean, you heard you brood of vipers. He's like, you know, show us that you're actually repenting and don't, don't justify yourself by saying, oh, we're ancestors of Abraham because God doesn't need you. He could raise up new ancestors from these stones. 
And if you don't get your act together, like the ax is at the, the foot of the tree, ready to chop you down. So don't ask me how he had such a, um, a revival going on. People were flocking to the river to be baptized. And this is the message they're hearing. So it's like, it's, it seems the opposite of what you would expect. Um, that this harsh, critical, in your face, um, calling out your sin to the world, like he did with Herod, um, would not draw people to him. And yet people are coming to him. And then here's where it gets interesting. So he's saying all this and the crowds that are coming to him are saying, the crowds ask him, what then should we do? Now, remember in my head, I think when I've read this before, they're like, oh, what should we do? And, and then he's like, oh, be baptized. But he's already, so baptism is the sign of repentance. And then his message right here is now show fruit worthy of the repentance that was symbolized by the baptism. So when the crowd say, what should we do? In reply, he says to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none and whoever has food must do likewise. So if this, if this John guy is coming to basically say, Hey, you all, you sinners, you evil people, you need to get your hearts right. You need to repent of your sin. You need to start doing right in preparation for the Messiah who's coming. I'm thinking things like, what should we do? And John's going to say, he's going to go back to the Ten Commandments, right? And he's going to be like, stop lying and stop dishonoring God's name and stop murdering, coveting, like... Like there's a list of things that we know were given to the people in order for them to follow and show that they are holy. <clears throat> but that's not, that's not what he says. Fruit of repentance. What do we do? They say. And he's like, share your coats if you have extra. Oh, and if you have extra food, share that too. It's not, it's not what the answer should have been. Ben, I'm I'm wondering, were they even surprised? Like, really, this is how we show repentance? What are they repenting from? If I, if my action, repentance is to turn, to go the other way. So the other way of sharing is hoarding, keeping things to myself, storing up for me. And John's like, hey... You need to turn from that and you need to give away. You need to share. Um, And then verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized. (laughs) Tax collectors, they were the corrupt people of of the time. And they asked him, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. In other words, stop ripping people off. Stop taking from others the little that they have. 
So the first command is give if you have extra. And then the next one is, oh, and don't take from people what little they have when you shouldn't be. The soldiers asked him, and what should we do? You'd think at this point, when everyone's hearing what the commands are, people would be like, oh yeah, that's, pro- that's good enough. I'll just follow that rule. But they keep asking, oh, and us, what about us? What, tell us what we should do. And he says to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. I mean, is anyone else thinking this is the strangest list of actions that would be related to repentance? Be satisfied with your wages. What you have is enough. Stop trying to get more and stop trying to force people into giving you more from what little they have. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered saying, no, I'm baptizing you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's like, harsh reality guys like Jesus is coming but he's gonna he's gonna be even harder than me because he's gonna start separating everybody he's gonna start saying these people are the wheat and these people are the extra stuff and the extra stuff is going to be burned in other words like destroyed and then it ends so with many other exhortations he proclaimed the good news to the people (laughs) okay We talk about the Gospels, the four Gospels being the good news of Jesus. But I think when we talk about it as Christians, we talk about good news being um, Jesus came to save me from my sin. He came to bring me eternal life. All of that's true. Totally true. But when you look at the way that John is interacting and talking to the people, the good news here is yes, you can repent and turn But the fruit of what that looks like means that others are benefiting. It's the same message. How have I missed this most of my life? (laughs) It would be so fascinating to me to see if the lens that I'm just now enlightened to is a lens that people who are on the end of oppression, are on the end of being taken advantage of, or on the end of not having enough. Like if that's your life, maybe the good news has always been about the other and not about yourself. And maybe for me, uh, Somehow it's been all about me. And, and I don't, I'm not saying that as a indictment. I'm saying that as a, I mean, I'm sure prophets of the time would say, yeah, it's an indictment. But I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not saying it like, 
nothing is for me because God loves me. God chose me. God uses me. God blesses me. All those things are true. The problem is I make that a hundred percent of the good news, a hundred percent of the gospel. And what if it's only like, I mean, at best 50%, I think it's probably even less than that. Because as I continue to read and, and study and and open my mind to it being different, I'm recognizing so much of what scripture talks about is related. I mean, okay, it goes back to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When, when Jesus is asked what are the greatest commandments, he says this. And he says, the, the whole law is fulfilled with these two things. If you love God and love others, the problem is if we love others the way God loves us, then there is no other definition except emptying myself, denying myself on behalf of others all the time. That is exactly what Jesus modeled for us the whole time he was on this earth. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, is there a time when Jesus was like, yeah, not you today. I need to take care of me. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he didn't have boundaries. He did. He like disappeared in the night, early in the morning. He got his head right. He did what he needed to do. Why? Not so that he would be better for himself, but that he would be better for others. I still, it sounds just so obvious, but I'm reading this story and I'm, I'm thinking this is so different. It's the same story, but it's so different. What should we do? Share your coat, your extra coat. Share your extra food. Be satisfied with your wages. Don't take from others what they need. These are the good works, the good fruit that shows repentance that we have turned from our way to doing God's work his way. And don't you think it must have somehow resonated with them? But... Who's it resonating with? It's the crowds. It's the tax collectors. It's the soldiers. Who's who's not there? It's, It's not the religious leaders. That hurts a little bit. have 14 other thoughts, but I'm going to stop with that one today. Where are we showing fruit worthy of repentance in our lives right now? If I was going to turn from 
thinking of how to take care of myself. How about this? If the sin or the, the off the mark living was living focused on my benefit all the time. And if I'm turning from that to the the way that Jesus said to live, which is on behalf of others, then I have to say, where in my life am I still striving to keep myself above someone else or better than someone else or with more than someone else and why? And how do I how do I turn it around and do it different? Where do I need to be satisfied? Where do I need to share? Where do I need to stop demanding something from others that they shouldn't be giving me? I don't have answers right now. But those are the questions I'm asking. And well, I guess we'll keep asking them together. It's good to be back on the porch. I miss this time. And I'm, I'm glad that we found some space to hang out today. So, that's my view of life and faith from the back porch. Thanks for sitting with me.